Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of a few unlegendary hunters. Your home for tactics, strategies, and stories. Folks, welcome back to the Buck and Strutton podcast. Today on the show, we have Carly Gill, and she is a deer outreach specialist for the National Deer Association. We are uh, we're going to talk about a an, an event that I was actually able to attend a few weeks ago, which is called a uh, Field to Fork, and we'll get into what that actually is. But without further ado, Carly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on, Nick. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked that uh that we're able to do this and really get into it because I think it's such a such an awesome thing. Um how you know how how did you get into the outdoor industry? I always talking to people that do this for a living, like your job is awesome. And it just <laughs> it's always kind of like what what did you do to get where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. So a few different things and probably to sum it all up, I kind of fell into it. <laughs> um, several, you know, choices and decisions and probably the biggest one being that I actually got to grow up um, in an environment that was heavily hunting. Uh, my family ran an international hunting outfitter um, organization. And so I think I remember I was probably like 10 or 11 and somebody asked me like, oh, well, when did you decide you liked hunting? I was like, what? <laughs> uh, what, what do you mean? I, I that was a choice. I don't know. I just like it. Something we do to feed ourselves um, and to enjoy the outdoors. So I started from a young age, just hunting constantly all of the time. Um, The family that I grew up in almost exclusively lived off of venison and fish that we could catch on our property. Um, And from there, I went to school uh, and I initially thought, man, I want to be a doctor (laughs) as as most uh, young people do and young kids. And I started taking these biology courses and they, they weren't bad, but we had to take an elective, um, and I took an elective course in ecology, and we got outside. We did field research. We were looking at spider webs and classifying what type of spiders, and I thought, holy moly, <laughs> people are uh, doing this constantly for school and for a career, and I just took a 360 and kept my biology degree, but did a kind of a emphasis in the field research and conservation side of things. Um, and fell in love with it. The rest of my college career was outside all the time, and I, I couldn't complain. Um, from there, I actually took a job uh, working as a professional scuba diver um, and doing like survey research on coral reefs. Uh, just another kind of fun young thing, but also to get into the science research side of stuff. Uh, I came back, started working in the hunting industry as a professional whitetail guide. Um, from there, Applied for the Missouri Department of Conservation, um, worked as a naturalist, and then I loved being a naturalist. We talked a lot um, about everything, but we always just talked a little bit about everything, kind of in general sense. So kind, and of, I really, explain, kind of explain what a naturalist is for maybe for people who don't. Yeah, absolutely. So a naturalist for the Missouri Department of Conservation kind of focuses on that conservation education aspect. A lot of R3, some hunter education, um, 
and a lot of just natural sciences education. So plant ID, really getting people in the outdoors. So we would talk about everything. We'd have programs on beavers and programs on spiders and programs on, you know, why the leaves change color. So just a variety of natural sciences information, um, which I loved, but I missed white-tailed deer <laughs> and just yeah. talking about those solely and hunting all the time. So uh, this opportunity came up, I applied um, and I guess I just told them I love deer enough and they, <laughs> they believed me. So <laughs> from there, uh, now I get to do what I do every day and I love it. So with, uh, in, for for people who don't know, you are located in Missouri. Yeah. Yes, and sir. if, in, I, I don't know, talking with like your counterpart with Shane and first really talking with him and understanding what you guys do, you're essentially a resource. Like, and it's not like it, if I'm correct, it doesn't cost any money. Nope. And you guys have so much knowledge that landowners or somebody that's trying to just even get into deer hunting that it, it and it's available. It's right here. Absolutely. We're kind of just like a, an easy call. Uh, Hey, I, I don't know what I should plant on my property for deer or, Hey, when should I be burning? Um, or if you even want to do some hunting management and getting into a co-op, we're just, we're here for that resource um, constantly to help landowners in Missouri. The, uh, the co-op thing was actually something that, it really, it baffled me. I did not, I was, this really exists. Like, this is kind of a thing. Like, I don't, I've never heard of this before, but that's, that's, it's really cool. You know, like you can get, I'll let you walk through it. You're, that's, it's your, it's your job. You go ahead. You go ahead. No, no, you're totally, it is really exciting. And it's a totally different aspect than I think kind of what a lot of us grew up with, maybe in like that rural Missouri aspect where you're like, well, I don't know what my neighbor's doing. You know, I, I don't know where that buck's going. I don't know who's going to shoot him on the next property line. Um, and it negates that. Co-ops are basically just large groups of landowners getting together um, and saying, hey, we want to manage this deer population as a whole. Um, and we want to do a better job of it. So listen, we're going to protect these young bucks. That way we can all have a chance at shooting beautiful, mature bucks and having, you know, really healthy deer populations on our property. So it's phenomenal phenomenal program and sometimes they're kind of hard to get up off the ground you know you got to do a lot of like hey guys I promise you this will work really <laughs> and uh using some other co-ops as examples but once they get going everyone seems to be overly thrilled with it that's really cool I I think that everybody uh that's listening is probably really jealous of your job number one <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, really you get to but, basically deal with white tailed deer for your work yep. that's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so, which this next thing that we're getting ready to start talking about in my opinion i think this is the coolest thing like i think after kind of just be witnessing all of these different things happening this by far is the mecca of it all you know i going into the field the fork I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, my expectations were high because I was kind of like, right, this is going to be, I mean, Carly's putting it on, so it's going to be freaking <laughs> awesome. But I didn't, I, I didn't really know what to expect. So how did, first, I want you to kind of explain what a field of fork is. Yeah. 
and then we can get into how this even started in Columbia and just move down the line. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a field to fork program is basically a non-traditional way to get new hunters a field um, and specifically adult hunters. So typically in that R3 world, that recruit, retain, reactivate um, hunter education world, a lot of people have focused on children, which is wonderful. And we still should. That's a really important part of our next generation of hunting. Um, But one kind of, I wouldn't say problem, but hiccup in getting kids outdoors is that they have to have somebody take them. They have to have an adult there with them. So even if you spark that interest in them, if the adults or guardians that are with them aren't helping, there's still that barrier. They're still not going to be able to get outdoors. So, um, and I think it was 2016, 2017, um, Hank Forrester, who's our director of hunting for the National Deer Association, he and a few other colleagues and partners got together and they created this field to fork program. Um, And what they actually did was they started going to uh, farmers markets, bringing venison and saying, hey, do you guys want to try some venison? And starting out that way. Um, And then they encouraged people to come hunting. They would start taking mentored adult hunters into the field and showing them this whole process of the field to the fork of going through the harvest and the processing and the actual eating of um, this great resource. So that's kind of how it got started as on the program as a whole. Um, and I personally think it's a great idea. Uh, we're all very conscious of what's going into our bodies um, and what we're eating. And I think we all want to know where it comes from. So they kind of kicked off that program several years ago. And since then, the National Deer Association does several a year. I think this last year we had 40 or 50 um, programs kind of throughout the year. Um, And there's a few others that are kind of run on their own, but some that we were all involved in. And I got to do one this year in mid-Missouri, which I was super excited about. I'm a mid-Missouri girl. I I wanted to bring it in here. Um, And we had that opportunity. So one of our local outdoor industry companies in the area is American Outdoor Brands. And uh, NDA has worked with several outdoor industry brands like SIG. Um, We've also worked with Daniel Defense and kind of getting their employees who work in these outdoor industries a field. Um, Because although they might be working with firearms and rifles, they might not actually be using them. So a great resource to kind of tap into. Uh, we had the opportunity to work with um, American Outdoor Brands. Actually, my husband works with them. And I, so I knew of the company. I knew they were a really reputable uh, company in the area. They own several companies like Fog, um, Caldwell Shooting Supplies, uh, what else? Bubba Blade, all kinds of different things. Um, so we got together and we said, hey, we would like to do this. Um, we had some landowners in the area, actually our chairman of the board being one of the landowners. And they said, Here's the property. You bring in the hunters, bring in the mentors, um, and let's go. Let's get this program started. So from there, event planning, <laughs> which I'm sure uh, several hunters and whitetail enthusiasts are like, ah, event planning. <laughs> not not exactly <laughs> what you picture when you think uh, outdoor <laughs> company, but it's important. You know, you've got to think about um, a lot of different things when you're bringing so many people together, mainly safety of course, on the very first aspect, um, you have got to kind of think about customer service. Like, is everyone going to be comfortable? What are your Maslow's? You know, have you heard of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Like, are they going to be fed? Are they going to be comfortable? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, and so kind of thinking of those things as you go through that event planning process, because although we want to get to the hunting portion, you have to remember that these new mentors that we're bringing in, 
aren't used to that. They're not ready to step right into the woods and pick up a firearm and go to town. <laughs> you know, wow. they, they need a second. We got to ease them into it. So of course we start with usually a rifle range portion. Um, and from there we'll do some firearm safety before the event. We sent out some hunter ed and made sure everyone was hunter ed certified um, on their own. And here in Missouri, we have an online program for adults. So really simple and easy for us to get hunter ed certified. Uh, then we did firearm safety at the range, kind of went through, made sure they felt comfortable with shots. Uh, and then from there, probably one of the most fun parts of a field to fork event is the social get together <laughs> um, after the firearm range. So from there, we all headed over to kind of a local brewery area and we had some food, we had some beverages and everybody gets to kind of know each other, feel comfortable. You're going to be sitting in the woods for hours, for days, maybe with these people um, you want to feel situated. And uh, we all kind of circle up usually eventually and we start telling our stories for the mentors and the uh, professional hunters that are there. We talk about how we got into it, why we love it, why it's so important to us. And then we get around to the mentees like, hey, why are you guys here? Are you excited? How are you feeling? Um, what do you think about hunting? And it's a really good moment to kind of get into the philosophy of hunting and the depth and kind of touch on that emotional side with non-hunters who might not understand where our, where us traditional hunters are coming from. That was very powerful. It really, it is. I, because that weekend, you know, I was, I was mainly just taking a lot of pictures and videos and I don't know, I, we started talking about that stuff and the way I think, uh, I think Nick, Nick P, the CEO of BND, I think he kicked it off, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And after kind of listening to him talk, I was like, you know, I'm just going to put the cameras down for this because this is way too powerful, kind of emotional. What people say here, it deserves to just stay right here. Absolutely. I think um, definitely Nick P did a wonderful job kind of kicking that off. Nick Penizzotto, uh, it is emotional. You know, you're going to talk about your connection to nature and it's not always cut and dry the way people think it is for hunters. We feel a lot of things that might have to do with our upbringing, with our family, um, where we grew up. And so it's tied in with how we feel about the outdoors and a lot of our, you know, story, our self story. So it does get emotional really quickly. And it's surprisingly powerful, especially to see a, a room full of adults kind of <laughs> sniffling, you know, <laughs> holding back a few tears and, uh, trying to communicate with each other and get together on that level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's, it, it was just, I mean, there were a few tears shed. Like, it's just kind of like, this is, this is really cool. And I mean, for anybody that is a diehard whitetail hunter, outdoor enthusiast, conservationist, whatever it is, I mean, that it just kind of, it's kind of like when you stand up and you hear the, the national anthem, you know, it just kind of sends chills down your spine. Absolutely. I think it's a, as hunters, you know, we've all probably had buck fever or that excitement post-shot and you get the shakes. Um, and that's that's a wonderful excitement level. But when you add in a mentee and getting to share that with someone on that emotional level, forget about it. I couldn't hold a rifle in that moment if you asked me to. <laughs> I'm shaken to the bones and usually almost crying myself. Um, it's just such a wonderful moment. And I think, so there, there were 10 mentees right yep we had 10 mentees um and that's a pretty good number that's quite a bit you know when you put on these events 
it can't necessarily be a mass thing. We can't have 40 or 50 people out there. You're not going to have that emotional and one-on-one connection that you want. So I'd say 10, 15, I wouldn't do more than 15 people at a time for an event like that. The, uh, I mean, that's where you kind of think about it. We had 10 mentees, 10 mentors, all the staff from the NDA. So that was dang near another half dozen. The folks at the um, oh the the outfitter with um, D seven outfitters D seven outfitters Andy Clay Farms. Yep, mm-hmm. I mean there was a lot of people there. There there was a lot, and I think that there was to bring in because most of those people they had zero hunting background or they had very limited when they were maybe younger or I don't know. It, it I just think that a program like this is, is very special. It really, it really is. And I think it's amazing to connect with people um, that we don't usually get to talk to, you know, when I'm going hunting, I'm hanging out with other traditional hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have to talk about, Hey, how'd you get into hunting or Hey, why are you doing this? Um, and to sort of bring those new people into the fold, even just 10 of them feels like it's a huge impact and they have families. They're going to share it with their families. Um, you know, it's, it's exponential, the impact that you have on those new hunters in that community. And hopefully it starts like a new tradition, you know? I hope so. I really, and you know, the company American Outdoor Brands, they've already reached out. They're like, how do we do this again next year? How do, how do we keep doing this, you know, within ourselves eternal internally as a company? Um, that way, you know, we can still come in as NDA and provide that resource and that knowledge. Um, but they want to do it themselves. They love the program so much. They're like, Hey, can we do this over and over and over again? And that's what I don't think a lot of people realize too. You know, we're talking about this event. You guys supplied the rifles, the ammunition, the vests, the orange hats. You even had like from a few of the uh, the sponsors that go with the NDA, they donated backpacks with headlamps, knives. I mean, you literally set these 10 mentees up for success with whatever they do next to get it into the hunting. Heck yeah. And this was a very large scale field to fork. Um, to be fair, we did have a lot of brand partners like American Outdoor Brands. We had Bass Pro Shops that donated um, gear. Uh, of course, Bog Pod brought in stuff. We had gear from all over, which was phenomenal. But I do think it's a good idea when you have a field to fork to try and give something of some semblance to get them started. Um, you know, I I was talking with, uh, I think Nick actually with you the other day about what are some hunting basics on a budget? Like when you're getting started hunting, what do you need? And of course us nowadays, gosh, I could spend my whole paycheck on <laughs> all the, all the fun gear that's out there. Yeah. But uh, you don't need it. You know, for years and years, people have been hunting with the bare basics. So we tried to pick some items that would be good in longevity, you know, like some backpacks, some some gutting knives, things that they might actually need to use. But you don't need the fancy stuff. You're going to want it <laughs> and you can get it and it'll help. But you don't need it. <laughs> That's like you're, you, I think when we were having that conversation about the hunting on a budget, you were talking about like a trash bag. And I kind of thought about that. And I'm like. That's actually a really good idea. And I, I take like little bags out, but I don't take a full blown yep. trash bag. 
don't know. I was just thinking, like, and that's something <laughs> that's it's so cheap. It is, and uh, I've had so many people make fun of me for that. Honestly, I'll, I'm always shoving at least one or two trash bags in my side backpack. They get small, and you know what? I can pull it out. I can sit it down, so I don't have a wet bottom later on if I just got to hunt from the ground. Um, and if I shoot something, I've got an extra bag to pull stuff out if I need to. If I can't leave the guts there, if I'm field dressing and it's not a place I can leave it, throw it in my trash bag. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's simple, easy, really cheap tool to have. <laughs> Embarrassing, but true. That's There's nothing worse than a wet bottom that then turns. I mean, it just like it'll, especially in these, uh, you know, late fall, early winter. And it just goes, it seems like it just goes right through the clothes that you're wearing and you're cold. It does. There's nothing that's going to end a hunt quicker <laughs> if, no, no. if I'm cold. No, nothing you're else. Gonna sit, you're going to sit there and you're going to think like, I could be back in my warm truck headed home. Yep, exactly. So trash bag, everybody. There you go. TM. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tips by Carly. Trash bag. <laughs> so... What do you, I mean, do you think that with this field, the fork, do you think it was a, a huge success? Do you think that there were things that if you were to do it again tomorrow, you would do it differently or? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say overall, I thought it was a really good success from the mentee mentor and like partner standpoint everyone that we had come together was really pleased. And I think every mentee had just a, the biggest smile on their face, mentors the same. And on that baseline, I, I couldn't have been happier with the way the event went. Now, as far as event planning, there's always hiccups, especially when you get, you know, we had 10 mentees, 10 mentors, plus lots of partners, plus landowners. You know, we probably had 35, 40 people kind of running around. Um, so as far as event logistics, yeah, there's a few things I would tweak um, and a few things that, you know, you don't always think about in the moment and go back. But maybe that's me. I'm a perfectionist at heart. So <laughs> so nothing's ever 100 percent in my mind. But uh, I, I thought it was an overall really good success. Um, I think I would do it again in a heartbeat. No problem. That's awesome. The uh, which it's not the the catering company that we used. I, you probably knew I was going to talk about this. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe that. I was like, holy smokes. Like, cause you took two of your, two of your deer that you personally had shot. shot to them to be able to provide for meals just in case the odd chance that we skunked out, you know? Yep. Yep. And they were supposed to be there on the Friday. Yep, for the social event. Mm -hmm. And straight no showed, didn't pick up the phone, nothing. Nothing. Oh my gosh. And both Nick and I, both you and I, we had spoken to them prior. We were like, yeah, this is what's happening. They're coming. Um, what turned out happening was that, and of course, mistakes happen. So honestly, the catering company is great. I, I still like them, but uh, the poor <laughs> boss man, um, he just wrote down on his books on Saturday. So uh, they were not there on Friday. We did have to scramble a little bit, you know, get some food together. Thankfully, NDA's team is awesome. And Nick was awesome in there just being there kind of calming uh, my nerves. He probably thought I was going to set the building on fire. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we we made it all happen. We 
got some pizza scrounged up really quickly. The brewery was great. And we were supposed to have, of course, this fancy venison food, which would have been awesome. And we did get it, just not that night. <laughs> but, you know, any social event, any field to fork, gosh, a, a beer and a pizza, that's going to make any hunter happy and any new hunter almost. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, so that worked out well. And that kind of goes to, you know, like uh, we were talking about this, about how just the energy in that room, it, it, it's not, a, it wasn't like a big room, you know? Like you're you're pretty shoulder to shoulder with people, and you, just the energy in there. Like I don't think that there could have been no food, and I think people would have been okay. I think so too. Yeah, you're totally right. And that was just a logistics thing, you know. We did get the food Saturday. No one panic. Um, and uh, the Minties did get to try that venison after the fact, and actually it worked out really well. Um, kind of having those venison snap snacking appetizers as people were dressing their deer. They got to finish up, come right back in and actually get to taste that venison, which is the whole point of the program. So actually worked out for better. So that's yeah. all good. <laughs> I mean, cause the, and that kind of, that kind of brings me to this, this next talking point with, within the field of fork, we had, we did the shooting range, you know, we got them, they had ample amount of time to shoot their rifles that they were going to use. And then we went to the social event. The next morning, we we show up at Clay Farms, and it's classes. And I, the classes, they they were. I think they were like. I felt like they were pretty like informal. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it it was still really well put on. Like, and you could just tell. Like, I was standing and watching everybody. Like, everybody's really holding on to every word that the instructors who, who or whoever was speaking they, they they just held on to every word heck yeah i think that's kind of what we were going for in that informal setting um i think as traditional hunters which which i am uh when we got knowledge it was generally passed down from like your grandpa your dad you know whispering in your ear like hey listen this, this is how we're going to do this um and we wanted to give that experience to these non-traditional hunters they're like hey this is a seasoned veteran hunter, they're going to sit here and tell you how it is um, and just go through some additional education that although they had their hunter ed, nuances, the nuances of hunting that we don't think about telling other people. And so, yeah, yeah. kind of informal. And even if, you know, I, and even just like the stuff you guys like talked about, like with, with shop placement and how to prepare yourself whenever that moment leading up to the shot. I mean, that's stuff that they may have looked at, which I don't even, I don't, I'm not even entirely sure if that is in like a hunter safety. I think it's in the deer hunting one-on-one stuff, yep. but I mean, geez, almighty, they're, they're new. They're probably kind of nervous. You know, they might not know all these people that they're showing up here with. Yep. It's something very easily to forget. And it's like, boom, we're going to put the hammer on the nail head right there so you will not forget it when you go out and hunt tonight absolutely absolutely and it's another kind of nuance that has to be added when you're working with adult hunters so when you're mentoring with younger hunters with kids um still want to have kind of a base general knowledge of that but as kids they might not have as good of a grasp of kind of like that circle of life that you're participating in when hunting um, and harvesting and so as an adult 
they fully understand that process and you kind of, you have to work through it. You have to, you know, kind of go from the sustainable circle of life side of things that way they know what's happening and they're okay with it because it it is a lot. It can be a lot emotionally. Yeah. And excuse me, that it is, it is a lot. And that, that, and that's something that even as I'm, because I'm a non-traditional hunter, you know, like I, I did not grow up doing this. I've been, I've been doing it for, for six years. And once I started, I realized like, wow, I have, I, I've really missed out. Like, I wish that I would have really pushed and complained and whined to somebody to take me out and do this when I was younger. Even those, that moment leading up, like when I know that, hey, you know, everything's starting to come together here and it looks like it's going to happen. I mean, it, it is an emotional moment. And then even after the fact, it, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I can't lie. I mean, I, I can't lie. Sometimes there might be a tear shed or there might just be, you just sit there for a few minutes and just take it all in. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know I've, uh, so obviously my whole family are big hunters. Um, they always have been, I have a younger sister, um, and she has hunted her whole life, but hasn't, doesn't do as much hunting as an adult here and there. Um, and I've been on hunts with her where she's shot an animal, she's probably her 25th, 26th animal or something that she's harvested. And we've cried together about it, you know, and it, it's an emotional moment. You kind of forget sometimes as a hunter, especially if you're going out every season. Um, but yeah, I personally, I always kind of do a moment before I head into the field. Um, and then post once I've harvested, um, just kind of a reflection, sit down and thank everything, um, you know, for the opportunity and to kind of be in nature. So it's a, it's a moment. It's, we try to do our best to kind of prepare those new hunters for that. Um, and you know, non-traditional hunters like yourself kind of get them ready so that they're excited so that they can go through those emotions and feel them. Um, but come out with a joyous experience overall. And that's, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and that's kind of where the mentee that we had, he had, he had kind of just said, he's like, you know, like I hunted probably 40 years ago and the, his father who he was hunting with, he just, it wasn't fun. I mean, for him, it was not fun and it's, you're ruining it, you know? And it, it was just really cool to see that, that spark get lit in all these uh, folks' eyes and in their souls, you know, like, I don't know. Heck yeah. The, I think it's a wonderful circle of excitement. Were you, were you expecting after the, which I feel like it happened really fast. So when everybody went out to hunt that night, you kind of stayed back at the, uh, you know, the headquarters base camp kind of thing. Yep. And I feel like that the phone calls and texts started coming in pretty quickly of like, Hey, we got a deer down. We got to go and get out. Like we need help. Blah, 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 blah. They really did. Were you expecting that night nine out of the 10? I was not. I, I absolutely was not. Um, I am not sure as hunters, gosh, we know what's the chance of a hundred percent success. Almost never, (laughs) almost never. Um, and so that's not what I was expecting. I would have been super pleased if we had one or two, like, great. We 
we've had somebody have this experience, you know, and more than likely when you go out hunting, you're going to sit and you're going to look at some awesome woods and that'll be that. <laughs> You'll come back in for some hot cocoa and a beverage and, you know, <laughs> try again the next day. But, uh, I, I was not expecting nine out of 10 that first night, not at all. And we did end up getting 10 out of 10, um, within the whole event. And it was awesome. You're right. I think I sat at headquarters for maybe 45 minutes, uh, definitely shaken. Wait, waiting for the <laughs> waiting for the texts and the calls to come in. Um, and then, yeah, they just flooded. We were getting stand selfies. We were getting dough down, big dough down, dough down, you know, and oh, it was awesome. Even though I couldn't get to be in a blind, just the excitement back at the lodge was palpable. We were sending people out to go pick up deer flying, just making it all happen. <laughs> yeah, they, they were not messing around. They were ripping on those uh, side-by-sides. They were. Yep. It was, it was. And I don't even know if this was supposed to like work out the way it did, but when everybody got back to the lodge with their deer, I mean, he has, Andy has this whole area, you know, like where you can go in and it, the skin and shit, I think is what he calls it. But it just, people were, it just boom, boom, boom. I mean, mentor, mentee up there doing the whole dang thing and off to the races they go. And it wasn't like too fast where they didn't learn, but it was just, it just seemed methodical. It really did. And I mean, you could almost see just like the, the goosebumps on everybody's arms. Everybody was coming in. It was what hunting camp at its best should be is what it felt like. You know, just the stories getting shared. There were people were still, you know, just happy tears crying, huge grins. Um, everybody weighing their deer and joking about who got the biggest doe and X, Y, Z. And it was awesome so powerful and we were lucky enough to be working with c7 outfitters and have that awesome skinning shed where we could get yeah so many people rolling through um and yeah the mentors really stepped up they immediately showed everybody if they hadn't already had a field dress um they skinned them and then we tried to at least quarter the deer uh, a few mentors were like listen let's get these down to primal cuts which bless you because i could i could not <laughs> i can quarter a deer um and that's about it folks my my processor and i are close so <laughs> matt and i believe kathleen correct yep i mean matt ross and I'm, I'm not really sure what kathleen's last name is uh saviano saviano they i mean matt did not discriminate he went all out he really did i think they took a couple hours um and which processing doesn't always take a couple hours by any means, but he was right there with Kathleen hands on. He was letting her make the cuts. He was identifying everything like, Oh, this is going to be your round steak. Oh, this is going to be, you know, and going through it. And it was really impressive. Yeah. And I, and that's to give credit, all the, all the mentors did a wonderful job. And that Matt was one that I just kind of, I was you know taking photos and I was like, man, this guy is, He's not messing around. Like, No, that's above and beyond. And I think, I mean, for me personally, I think a lot of hunters probably either harvest their deer and take it to the processor immediately, um, or they do kind of the basic quartering cuts from yeah. what I understand. I'm, of course, there are those out there that are awesome, like Matt, who goes that extra mile. Um, so to get to see that was awesome. Watch them break it down. And I think Kathleen was just like huge eyes taking it all in the whole time <laughs> just soaking up oh, the knowledge. Yeah. it was when, awesome i mean when she when she left that night her coolers she was 
I mean, she was walking on cloud nine. Oh, yeah. It was great to see everybody pack up their meat and take it home. So, like I said, at least uh, everybody got theirs quartered out. And so um, one of the hunters I got to actually take out that last night slash in the morning, when yeah. we sent him home, he was loading up. We had some trash bags and some coolers, and he was going right to his apartment in the city to, to load it into his um, shared apartment with all his roommates. And I thought it was just exciting. You know, he's going to load up his whole fridge that he shares with his two or three roommates with venison, and it's going to be great. Yeah, they're going to be like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. It, it was awesome to see him loaded, you know, just in his car, no big crazy truck or anything, just loading it up in the back seat, ready to roll. <laughs> In that, so, in that, and that's kind of crazy too, because you worked your ass off that entire weekend, and then for the uh, the gentleman that he struck out the first night, the next morning, and you stayed behind, and you were like, you know what, we're gonna go and do it. Like we're gonna. Heck yeah! Thankfully, the uh, landowner C Seven Outfitters, Andy Clay. He was super generous. He felt so bad that we had this one hunter who was trying his best. Uh, we had a miss the first evening. Didn't see anything the next morning. Um, he was like, oh, you're about to go back to your company with all these other people who have had great success. Let's try it one more time. So he let us stay for the afternoon. Um, and of course, we weren't supposed to hunt that last evening of Sunday. So all the other mentors were ready to go. Everybody's packing up. Um, but thankfully, I'm local. I was only about 45 minutes away from the property. And said listen just let me stay like i i too would really love to get russell um his deer that'd be awesome and it, it was i i loved the whole weekend but i hate to say that was probably my favorite part of the whole weekend yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> it got you out yeah i got to get out got to get into the stand um and he did end up harvesting a deer which was so exciting i think we were both on the edge of our seats the whole time we had deer coming out we had a couple of button bucks walk out first so we kind of i was like okay shoulder up we're obviously not shooting these these it's a doe hunt I said but where they're at would you feel comfortable shooting them i'm like you know don't don't touch the trigger anywhere near but could you make that shot if you had to he's like yeah like okay cool we had four deer coming out behind us we were trying to up and move around swing around behind uh lots of excitement and finally he ended up shooting a doe uh which was great we made a shot a little bit farther back than what would typically be suggested. So uh, we had to wait till the next morning to harvest her. But that even that was great. I know he went home. We were all a little nervous. Of course, we all, everybody's probably made not the best shot in the world. And right. you got to wait, wait for that go find her moment. Um, but then we got to track. Russell did a great job tracking. He was so excited. He said it was like an adult game of I Spy. <laughs> we're running around, you know, looking for blood. Uh, didn't have to track her too crazy far. And yeah, the great success when we found her was wonderful. We were all shaking. Everybody's crying. <laughs> it's awesome. great. I, see, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that you had to uh, go back the next morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when he shot her, um, ended up being a gut shot. And so, of course, he hit her main body. As soon as he she shot, she kind of seized up, um, came down. I almost thought she was going to buckle right there, but she caught herself last minute, trotted off over to the side of the field kind of swayed. I'd had Russell reload at that point, but she was behind too much brush. Um, and then she took a couple steps where we couldn't see her. I was like, Oh, I don't know. It's like, I think you, you definitely made a big hit. I was like, probably main body. Um, so we waited several minutes and then popped over to where he shot her and looked for some blood. Uh, we found some 
dark red blood. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, we're going to need to wait. I was like, you definitely, you've made a fatal shot more than likely, but let's hold off. Um, once the side-by-side pulled up, we actually saw her make a few little bounds down the hill. I was like, yep, definitely. Let's, let's pull out. <laughs> let's come back in the morning and see how it goes. Um, so gosh, we had the full range of emotions of hunting, the excitement of getting ready, the excitement of the shot and of a hit, um, the nerves of waiting and hoping that it goes well, uh, the nerves of tracking, and then just the sheer relief and excitement of the find. So did, did Russell go back to the city that night? He did. He went back to the city that night. <laughs> and, and then you, did you ask him the next day, like, did you sleep a wink? Oh, he, yeah. He said, no way. He said, I'm so tired. And he, thankfully, American Outdoor Brands being the wonderful company they were, they said, don't come into work today until you've got your deer. They're like, go back, go right. find it. So yeah. that was a, that was a Monday morning. Um, and they just said, yeah, go find your deer, man. We'll see you at work if you can get it. You know, hopefully we see you today. So wonderful job on their part and being so supportive. That's really cool. <laughs> Heck yeah, it was. And he said, he didn't sleep a wink. I think none of us did. Andy, uh, the landowner and myself, we were just like, you know, you get sick to your stomach. You you just want it to go well. But it did. I, I wish that my current job, they would understand that. I like I <laughs> listen, my yep. work here, it matters, but my deer hunting work, that matters more. So yep. yeah. That thankfully, thankfully with the National Deer Association, um, you know, we practice what we preach. We are all out there hunting. Uh yeah. And I remember when I first came on, Matt was like, yeah, do, you know, do the best work you can. We know you're going to anyways, because you're passionate about it. He was like, but also you should be hunting. <laughs> like if you, if you aren't hunting, we're going to have some concerns. <laughs> so they always make sure to give us, you know, a few days, a few mornings, we can go out hunting and pop back in and get our work done for the day. So that's really wonderful. cool. So what is your biggest takeaway? from this event specifically not just field the fork in general but but this event that is a really good question um i think probably my biggest takeaway um was how wonderful the hunting community is and how it is so imperative that we grow because for this particular event we had so many outdoor um, and hunting industry partners so many, four or five different organizations between, you know, ourselves, American Outdoor Brands, Missouri Department of Conservation, Bass Pro Shops, the landowners and outfitters, uh, all of us coming together saying that we want to do this, this is important. And then the sheer joy for us in expanding that community. So yeah. now we've got all these new hunters and people who are saying, you know, I've had mentees message me from the area saying, hey, can we go out again? you know, just with you, I want to go one more time with a mentor before feeling comfortable going by myself. I was like, absolutely. Let's, let's do that. So that's my biggest takeaway is how important this hunting community is. And that if we're not growing, then you're not thriving. You're not going to continue. So it's, you know, it, it's cool to see because whether people you want to think it or not, in some aspect, the hunting way of life is threatened. Yeah, it is. Whether I mean, you can, that's kind of a loaded question. You can break it up to however you want to break it up. But the general consensus is, is that it is threatened. And it's cool to see these companies who are 
they're competing against each other, you know, like come together and support this to make something grow. Oh, absolutely. I think you're totally right. Um, And, you know, we've looked at numbers over several years and it seems like, you know, every set number of years there are a few less hunters and a few less hunters. Um, And that's going to be a problem eventually because as hunters were donating and creating kind of that conservation um, money-making machine that allows us to have public land and allows us to have hunting seasons. So with less of us, we have less influence. With less influence, you have less land. With less public land, then you have less access. So I think it's kind of a a big turning wheel um, of a problem, but I think bringing in new hunters is step one and should continue to be step one. Do you... uh... What advice do you have for somebody who wants to be a mentee and a mentor? I think, yeah, that's a really good question. So first of all, of course, the National Deer Association has several um, resources. So if you go on to our website, deerassociation.com, you can go into the get involved portion. They've got a whole section on field to fork and on mentoring and being a mentee. Uh, So definitely go check that out. My other suggestions would be to go check out your local state agencies. So like the Missouri Department of Conservation hosts several mentored hunts a year and they're always free as well. So go check them out. Um, If you're a current hunter and you haven't mentored, please reach out to us. Reach out to somebody that you've talked to. I know you've talked to a non-hunter because there's more of them than there (laughs) there are of us. Um, And just see if they would be interested. You know, take that first step. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a field to fork. Um, You can even take them out and have them sit with you while you hunt as step one um, without any gear in a blind with some dark neutral clothing. Uh, I think the first step is interest. So reach out to NDA, reach out to MDC, or just reach out in your inner circle. and you'll find some resources in there. And if by chance somebody who's listening wants to host a field to fork, who could they get in contact with to try to make that happen? Absolutely. So if you are in Missouri, um, you can either get a hold of myself or my counterpart, Shane Motzenbacher. Um, I can drop my phone number or my email, but my email is Carlin, K-A-R-L-I-N, at DeerAssociation.com. Um, Shane's is Shane, C-H-E-Y-N-E, at yourassociation.com. Um, you can email us. Uh, our phone numbers are also available online. Um, or if you aren't in Missouri and nationally, you can reach out to Hank Forrester, um, and it'll be Hank, H-A-N-K, at yourassociation.com. So start with us. We would absolutely love to do one. It's one of my goals to keep having more and more and more um, in the state. So if you're a landowner, you want to donate some land for this event, uh, give me a holler. Let's do it. You know, and what's what's kind of crazy here, too, is, is that it really benefits the landowner. It does. It really does. And so many of us as landowners and um, people who are participating in habitat management, we need doe management or deer yeah. management of some kind. Exactly. This helps with that. A huge portion. Um, and you get all kinds of benefits out of it. And that, yeah, I mean, not only just that, but the, the satisfaction of that you're doing something great. The, the doe management thing was, that was something I was kind of thinking about. I was like, I just don't think a lot of people realize this. They don't. I, I think a lot of people are really excited about antlers, which is great. 
we love, we love a good set of antlers. Um, but in order to continue having those awesome sets of antlers on your property, yeah. you got to shoot those. You got to shoot the right amount of does. You got to do it. The, uh, I want to give you a second here. We're kind of coming up on our, uh, our time hack, but I want to give you a second to number one, tell us what your favorite wild game recipe is. And number two, just kind of, if you have any ending remarks or where people can find you and contact you at, I know you just dropped your email, but. I can, no, no worries. So my favorite venison recipe. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I love just a straight venison roast shank. So like the whole shoulder or whole back leg, um, thrown in some water with some like dried mushrooms, salt, pepper, garlic, low and slow for like four or six hours, probably that one. Um, or I really love a venison wreath recipe. It's like a venison Wellington with ground venison. Uh, I actually just wrote a recipe for that with the NDA. Um, so I think if you Google like venison wreath NDA, you can find that recipe online. Uh, it's pretty really like that one. Um, good holiday recipe. And as far as getting in contact with me, I did give you guys my email that Carlin K A R L I N at deerassociation.com. Um, my phone number is five, seven, three, four, six, nine, one, five, one, five. You can give me a holler, um, ask me any questions you need. And of course we've got all kinds of resources at the deerassociation.com. So we're an open book. We're here. Give me a holler. If you're a landowner, if you're interested in co-ops, interested in field to forks, um, interested in the deer management assistance program, DMAP, that's what I'm here for. So please give me a call. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. And if you, if you're a Missouri resident, these folks, they're here to help you and it doesn't cost a stinking thing, you know, like, it's a really neat thing, especially if you care about your land and you care about being a steward of the land and the, uh, the animals that we hunt. So Carly, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about the field of fork. I know it was kind of more of just rolling through the sequences of what happened, but I just, the detail, it needed to be really detailed to give it any kind of justice. Heck yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast just talking hunting stories for a little while. So um, I love the podcast. Thank you for having me on. You Well, hopefully here in the near future, we'll get you back on and we'll talk about maybe some antler growth or something like that. Heck yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you again, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would, please leave us some form of a uh, review or comment. That would be greatly appreciated. And as always, stay safe out there and we will uh, see you next time.